You're listening to Irish Radio Canada and a recent uh, event in, uh, up around the Gas Bay has tremendous implications for the Irish community in Canada. We're all very familiar with Gross Eel and uh, Partridge Island, but Irish history extends way beyond there, even down to Toronto, and we're again we're familiar with Ireland Park and uh, Grasset Park about to be opened there in some time in the future. And also, we're familiar with the Black Rock at Victoria Bridge in Montreal. But in the Gas Bay, uh, the Carrick ship went aground back around the time of the famine, and we're going to hear a little about that. And Dr. Garrod O'Halloran is in uh, at Gas Bay at the moment with George's Cavanagh, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of this. Garrod and George's uh, thanks a million to all to wrote, August. Uh, bonjour. Bonjour, Austin. Bonjour, the Gaspésie. It's wonderful to be uh, to be uh, relaying the story again uh, after almost 172 years, Austin. Uh, this particular ship, the Carrigs of Whitehaven, left Sligo in early April 1847 with 173 tenants of Lord Palmerston, uh, who was a major landowner in Sligo at the time of the famine. He was an absentee landlord. Uh, as your listeners no doubt know, Lord Palmerston was one of the great architects of the British Empire. He served several times as uh, Prime Minister and as Foreign Secretary in uh, the mid-19th century and was a major player in expanding the frontiers of the British Empire. But his estates in Sligo... Uh, presented great uh, economic difficulty for uh, his tenants during the worst years of the Great Famine, particularly from 1845 until 1849. And he sponsored 10% of all uh, passages, assisted passages across the Atlantic to Canada. The very first ship that left Sligo in early April 1847 was the brig, uh, the Carrigs of Whitehaven. Uh, it was a two-mast brig, a very small ship, which uh, contained tenants mainly from South Sligo and from North Sligo, uh, the area around Mullockmore, which, of course, today is associated still with Palmerston, uh, who built the extraordinary, uh, luxurious Classybourne Castle on the uh, shores of the Atlantic Ocean there in Mullockmore. Now, tragically, after spending about six weeks at sea in awful conditions, the Carricks was within sight of the shore here in the Gas Bay, about a week's sail from uh, Grosseal, when it encountered a very, very bad storm. And uh, on the night of May 18th, 19th, 1847, uh, it sunk, uh, and only eight, about 48 uh, people survived of the 173 people who left Sligo. And yesterday, Austin. After 172 years, uh, 21 uh, bodies were uh, finally buried in a proper burial site. Uh, there was a mass grave created uh, following the wreck in 1847, and uh, in recent years that mass grave was disturbed by the tide here on the Gulf of St. Lawrence, and after several years of excavation, and do wonderful work by Parks Canada, and of course the gentleman who's sitting here next to me, George Cavanaugh. Uh, we were finally able to uh, lay 21 uh, of those uh, 
misfortunate people from South Sligo, from North Sligo, to rest in a wonderful, fitting memorial yesterday, which brought together people from all over the Gaspé, people from Canada, dignitaries from both Quebec and from uh, Ottawa, uh, members of our own Irish government. Uh, Laura Fenley was uh, with us to represent the ambassador, Jim Kelly, and the Irish government, and uh, various officials and church dignitaries from uh, this part of Atlantic Canada. So, Garrod, you mentioned that this has been a long process and parts kind of been involved. Of course, technology has changed radically when it comes to being able to identify uh, people going back that far even, to the extent, as I understand it, that DNA was used in order to be able to identify what families some of these people had originated from. Well, Austin, in fact, uh, DNA evidence uh, samples were taken from the from, from the uh, bodies that were uh, unearthed, from the skeletons that were unearthed. So I understand that there are DNA samples uh, kept aside for the possibility of future research, but at this point, no specific families have been identified as such. Um, of the 48 survivors, about 10 of those people uh, stayed on in Gas Bay in 1847. The others moved on uh, to quarantine in uh, Grosseil, and then many of them uh, spread out across Canada and into the United States, where their family members still reside. Um, so as such, there are no specific families identified. But the man who has campaigned for this particular memorial and for the excavation uh, is George Kavanagh. Uh, their family remained in Gaspé uh, principally because their ancestors, uh, Patrick Caveney and Sarah MacDonald from Cache in South Sligo, refused to get on another ship after the awful ordeal of the shipwreck at the Carricks. So they stayed behind and eventually got their own piece of land in Gaspé and here we are seven generations afterwards and that story has been kept alive, passed down from generation to generation. And what was extraordinary yesterday as the small white coffin bearing the remains of these people uh, was placed in the ground, uh, they sprinkled a piece of soil from uh, South Sligo on the coffin so that the people uh, would finally be buried with a piece of their own soil from County Sligo. And uh, the last piece of uh, earth from Sligo was sprinkled on the white coffin by young Declan Foran, uh, who's 11 years of age, and he's a direct descendant of Sarah MacDonald and Patrick Caveney. And as I said, I'm sitting here with the man who made it all possible. And before we talk to George, you, uh, the name Kavanagh um, was, is predominant and, and associated with this, but you're, you, you're also using the name, what would be Caveney or Caveney? Exactly, Austin. As you probably know, we've now made a major documentary film on this particular uh, voyage across the Atlantic, uh, which is a trilingual documentary film, which is, was filmed here in the Gas Bay and uh, in South Sligo and other parts of the west of Ireland. And when we went back to Ireland to explore the name and to discover the relatives, etc., we were able to go back, George and his family and uh, myself, and we were able to go into the village in South Sligo, and in fact we found the remains of the house that the Caveneys were 
evicted from by Lord Palmerston's agents. And uh, there at that point then we were able to establish that the family name was in fact Caveney or O'Clavonoch. These were Gaelic speakers of course, they would have arrived in Canada and made a direct transition from Gaelic speaking South Sligo to French speaking Quebec and that uh, transition was not uncommon here in Francophone Quebec where today, six generations afterwards, they're still Francophone cabinets. And one of the aspects of some of this that you must find interesting and I would think um, exists is that as a result of that there must be some words in that area of Quebec that would have a direct link to the Irish language. Absolutely, absolutely. You find that uh, their very way of life often uh, when they arrived here and began their new lives in uh, the Gulf of St. Lawrence in, in the isolated Gaspé Peninsula would have resembled an old Irish rural clon, where, as we say in Gaelic, the daily egg, uh, people would have been living in the shadow of each other with a great sense of communal cooperation and uh, working the metal work groups and uh, helping each other out. And uh, this is one of the extraordinary aspects we've discovered in researching this project when we look back at the the life of Patrick Caveney and uh, his wife Sarah MacDonald, uh, they would have been leaders in their community, you know, people with uh, great, a great sense of social care and a great sense of welcome for the stranger and a great sense of storytelling. And of course, it's that storytelling and that shanicus that, you know, I, I, I say to George every time uh, I'm reminded of his wonderful memory that he is in fact He's a shanaki, you know, he's a man that has kept this story alive. He was, you know, in a sense, in the Gaelic sense, he's a tradition bearer. So, um, George, uh, bonjour, and uh, Garrod, if you can apologise on my behalf for my unilingualism in this situation, um, but the fire that was inside George that caused all this to happen um, has uh, can, has he made connections to what would be his forefathers or his uh, going way back who may still be in Sligo? Est-ce uh, que tu peux dire comment tu as fait contact avec les gens de Sligo avec la grande famille Carana Kevney à Sligo comment c'était passé? Lorsqu'on est allé là, ça a été d'abord un, un voyage extraordinaire avec euh, des gens très sympathiques euh, là-bas qui nous ont reçus en grande pompe euh, avec grand écriteau de Kavanaugh Welcome. Euh, C'était euh, émouvant même et euh, avec une, une certaine chaleur humaine qui euh, nous a tout de suite enveloppés et rassurés même si on avait un problème de, de, de communication verbale, je pense que les gestes et le comportement en disaient beaucoup plus long. Uh, he just uh, pointed out there, Austin, that they arrived in Ireland and they were given a very, very warm welcome, uh, a welcome that was both uh, noble and traditional. And uh, when they got to Sligo, there was a, an extended welcome from the famine Sligo a commemoration committee and uh, of course that is uh, directed by 
Joe McGowan, who's a very well-known local historian in Sligo, and they, they were very welcoming to the Kavanaghs, and uh, even though there was a communication gap in terms of, of language, they were uh, able to communicate, of course, with the, the help of translation, but there was an immediate sense of the, 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 the spiritual connection, and they felt that very, very strongly in Sligo. Would it be fair to say that George felt a spiritual connection with Sligo and felt a coming home in any way? Est-ce que vous avez senti un esprit spirituel en Irlande? En fait, le retour à Sligo, c'était vraiment la fin de votre voyage spirituel. D'abord, ça a été, oui, on peut parler d'une d'une approche, euh, d'un sentiment spirituel, mais euh, j'ai euh, senti tout de suite euh, qu'on nous prenait comme étant de la famille, et euh, même comme euh, euh, l'Irlandais qui était, a quitté il y avait, quelques centaines, il y avait une centaine d'années plus, et qui revenait au Bercail. Je me sentais, euh, et la famille qui était avec moi également, on se sentait un peu euh, comme chez nous euh, et on faisait contact avec euh, des cousins, des cousines, et, euh, des gens qu'on n'avait jamais vus, avec qui on, on avait peu de possibilités d'échanger, de, de, mais le contact était vrai et il était, euh, il était très, euh, très chaleureux. Il a juste pointé à Austin qu'il y avait une spirituelle connexion, mais plus important, il y avait une familiale connexion, il y avait un sens de going back, uh, having his ancestors having left 170-odd years ago, going back into the old home place and going back to their cradle, so to speak, their sense of going back into a family environment, even meeting people that they'd never met before in their lives, but immediately they felt at home, that there was a, a sense of, of return, a sense of homecoming, a sense of welcome that was very instinctive and very passionate. Over the period of the years in trying to bring this to some degree of fruition, what would have been the biggest challenges for George? George, you have consacrated toute ta vie à ce projet. C'était quoi l'époque le plus difficile ou la situation qui avait vraiment été vraiment pour toi un grand défi? Le défi à travers tout ça, bien sûr, c'est de remonter l'histoire euh, et toujours avec euh, des barrières de, de communication euh, verbale, de, 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 de langage. Mais euh, aussi, à l'époque, je pense que bon, euh, mes ancêtres étant pour possiblement la plupart, et sinon euh, la totalité, euh, euh, peu, peu euh, lettrés, illettrés presque, et bon, dans le fond... Euh, il n'y avait, euh, l'écriture n'était pas euh, le moyen de communication très usuel. Et ce qui fait que certaines données, certaines informations euh, passées de père en fils, des fois prend des, des tournures ou des, 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 des significations différentes et qu'on ne peut pas retrouver sur des écrits parce qu'il n'y en existe pas. C'est, euh, ou encore, les archives ou les... Les, les documents d'information sont disparus. Il y a, c'est toujours un problème et on cherche, on cherche et 
on a parfois l'impression que le morceau du casse-tête qu'on a, qu'on cherche, et il est disparu et, euh, et on va toujours rester avec un, un espace vide. Uh, Austin, uh, he's made a very important point that even though language was a challenge in and of itself, uh, these people would have left South Sligo in the mid-19th century with a very strong oral tradition. Uh, their stories would have been passed on from generation to generation by word of mouth. They, weren't, uh, they didn't belong to a literate tradition. So they, even after arriving in Canada, they didn't have a literary tradition. They, they weren't people who left written sources. Uh, their stories and their experiences and this, the tragic story of the Carrigs would have been passed on orally. So over time, with multiple tellings and multiple generations, um, th there was a great lack of archival sources. So for years, George pointed out that they were grasping at straws, trying to establish a little details, trying to build up a stronger archival uh, story, a story based on firm evidence. And it's only in recent years that this archival evidence became available. Uh, even in terms of my own work for the documentary, uh, we were finally able to access the estate papers of Lord Palmerston, thanks to the University of Southampton. But this, as George pointed out, has been a great challenge because they really were grasping at straws for such a long time and finally in the last uh, 10 ans, uh, la situation était devenue plus uh, solide quoi, au niveau des sources. Euh, oui, mais peut-être avec euh, bon, le monde électronique euh, aussi, euh, c'est un, un outil intéressant qui nous permet de rentrer dans toutes les bibliothèques du monde. Donc, euh, on peut aller chercher des informations on avait, auxquelles on n'avait pas accès il y a quelques années. So the the of course the fact that the internet opened up libraries all over the world and now electronically we're able to access archives that you know were only ac accessible physically and I think this has made an extraordinary difference to the telling of this story Austin we're now in a sense very fortunate beneficiaries of uh, electronic communication and that of course was the key that really changed this story in the last few years. Were there any artifacts saved from the shipwreck? Uh, the only artifact, ironically, that survived the, the sinking of the carriage was the ship's bell. And uh, the ship's bell was washed ashore uh, in the north shore of the Gulf of St. Lawrence, about 300 kilometers away from the point of the wreck. And it wasn't discovered until 1960. Uh, a century after the wreck itself and today that bell was brought across the Gulf of St. Lawrence and it hangs beside the monument here in Cap de Rosier which was built and endowed by the parishioners of St. Patrick's Parish in Montreal in the year 1900. So when you come to visit this uh, beautiful spot on the edge of the gas bay uh, you'll find that there are three flagpoles uh, bearing the flags of Ireland, Canada and Quebec, the ship's bell, uh, the monument raised by the parishioners of St. Patrick's Parish, and after yesterday, the little white coffin bearing the remains of the 21 bodies that were excavated. Uh, the coffin is buried 
right in front uh, of these uh, standing structures uh, facing out into the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And I should also point out, of course, that the nearby graveyard in Cap de Rosier contains the remains of Patrick Caveney and Sarah MacDonald, his wife. Sarah MacDonald was an extraordinary person. Uh, sadly, Patrick had a very, uh, very sad accident seven years after landing here in Gaspé, and uh, he died crossing the Bay of Gaspé in March of... Uh, 1855. So Sarah carried on to raise her children and lived uh, until the late 1880s. Was a remarkable woman and all of these uh, Caveneys or Kavanaghs uh, are descendants of this wonderful lady. And one of the last acts that I did as an Irish musician yesterday, at the end of the ceremony I crossed into the graveyard in Cap de Rosier and I took out my pipes and I played a lament for Sarah MacDonald, a wonderful lady. Garrod, it would be remiss of us not to mention Mariano Gallagher. <coughs> given all absolutely, absolutely, Austin. Uh, Mariano Gallagher, of course, was our troubadour. She was our inspiration. In a sense, she carried the torch of Irish research here in Quebec. And as we say in Irish, Yenshi and Bohor, I guess, Pomwid, Gadeid, Ed and Mohershin, Agus Buechus Mor, Le Mariana, Dun Rud Intuction. She made the road for us, and we're all following in her footsteps. So, while there is an annual event that occurs at um, Grosil, uh, is it anticipated that there will be an annual commemorative day or weekend or specific period where there will be a focus on the Carricks? Est-ce qu'il y aura une commémoration annuelle maintenant euh, au monument pour le Carrick Est-ce que c'est prévu euh, Il n'y a, a vraiment rien de prévu ou de, 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 de structuré euh, pour le moment de façon annuelle. Euh, non, je dois dire que ça serait peut-être un projet intéressant à développer oui, comme, comme moyen de maintenir cette, cette mémoire de de ce qu'a pu vivre nos ancêtres. Et puis, oui, mais, mais pour le moment, euh, non, il n'existe pas, pas de cette structure de, 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 de remémorer annuellement euh, les, les, nos, nos histoires. There, there are no plans as of yet, Austin, to have an annual event, but uh, I know that from time to time, uh, there, there are formal events held in this sacred site. And uh, George thinks that it would be a wonderful idea now that the monument has been formally uh, launched and that this has become a sacred site of burial, uh, bringing together, you know, a, a universal memory of the Irish famine tragedy, that it would be a very good plan to have an annual commemoration, an annual memorial here at this site for the victims of the Carrick's disaster. Garrod, you mentioned that much of the tradition at the time of the mid-1800s uh, would have been an oral tradition and that the Irish who arrived were not uh, literate in the sense of being able to write but were very literate when it came to uh, their ability to uh, relate what history was. Has 
uh, George and his team or George being able to in any way uh, put some of the related history has it reached has it gone on paper so as that it is not lost in the future well I, I will ask the question of George in a moment but I should uh, point out that in the making of our film The Lost Children of the Carrigs which we hope to uh, show in Ottawa before the end of the year uh, we were able to track the, um, the the life worlds that the Kavanaugh's created, the Cavities created here on the edge of the gas bay. And I, I think that one of the uh, attributes that defines the history of the Cavanaugh's in, in Quebec is their ability to tell stories, their ability to uh, transmit their history over time. And I think this is one of the extraordinary talents that George has and uh, I'll just extend the question to include him Austin mm -hmm. uh, l'histoire de Carrix était une histoire qui, qui était racontée à travers les générations est-ce que c'était vraiment quelque chose dans la famille Carvenard votre grand-père votre famille en général que, et, une histoire de Une histoire orale, quoi. Vous, avez, vous avez vraiment un talent pour euh, l'histoire orale. Bon, il s'agit bien sûr d'une histoire familiale euh, et euh, c'est sûr que c'est à partir de ma famille et particulièrement mon grand-père qui euh, était, euh, avait, je pense, fait quelques recherches euh, personnelles, mais il connaissait bien, il avait eu la possibilité, lui, de de connaître Sarah McDonald. Euh, il y avait, je pense, autour de 25 ou 26 ans quand elle est décédée. Donc, euh, il avait pu jaser et parler avec euh, des, ceux qui avaient vécu l'expérience. Maintenant, euh, je pense que pour le petit village de Cap-des-Rosiers, cette histoire, j'ai réalisé en, avec... Euh, L'événement qu'on vient de, de souligner, qui s'est terminé, qu'on qu a tenu hier, et euh, que c'était, c'est une histoire qui est encore très euh, vivante au point, au plan euh, communautaire, au plan de l'ensemble de la population, dans l'esprit, dans la, la dans, dans la mentalité, dans la façon d'agir, dans euh, euh, les souvenirs. Euh, les gens de Cap des Rosiers, même s'ils ont Personne de, de tous ceux qui y vivent actuellement n'ont eu la, la possibilité, n'ont eu à le vivre euh, réel. Ils, ils la connaissent, ils savent qu'est-ce qu qui s'est passé. Donc, c'est une histoire qui est restée ins, vraiment inscrite dans la mémoire collective. Et euh, on ne surprend, on surprend personne à Cap-des-Rosiers quand on, 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 on le questionne sur... Euh, Euh, le Carrix, euh, les Irlandais, euh, le monument et, et tout ce qui entoure ça. He's made a very important point, Austin, that the key person, in, in a sense, that was responsible for the transmission of this story was George's grandfather, uh, Dominique. Uh, Patrick, uh, Arthur. Arthur, 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 Arthur. Uh, who was George's uh, grandfather, would have known Sarah MacDonald, his, his grandmother. And uh, he would have been in his 20s when she passed away. So he would have had spent a lot of time with his grandmother as a child, listening to her describe the events of that awful night in 1847, 
the challenges of making a new life here in Canada. Remember, these people would have left South Sligo. They would have been small farmers, and they would have finished up, uh, you know, living on the edge of a great big sea here on the Gulf of St. Lawrence, where fishing was the primary industry, and they would have come from Sligo, a part of Ireland inland that had no experience of industrial fishing. So all of this oral history and this um, social history would have been passed on from Sarah MacDonald directly to her grandson, uh, who was George's grandfather. And Art Tool would have in turn, you know, embellished this story and uh, he would have uh, maintained that history. He was also very much interested in researching the story further and meeting other people who had uh, some contact with the Carricks. Several extended families of survivors would have come to Achtuf Kavanagh for information about the drowning. And as George pointed out here, even though Cap de Rosier avec une population de 300 personnes, about 300 people uh, living in this small village, uh, extended coastal village, kind of a, an elongated cluster, not too unlike parts of Connemara, Austin, or indeed parts of Fenor and North Clare. These 300 people would have an extraordinary uh, knowledge of the Carricks and the disaster uh, of 1847, uh, the settlement of Irish people in the area, and the generosity that was extended to the survivors of the Carricks. And uh, as George has pointed out, uh, any one of those 300 people living in the village of Cap de Rosier would, would, as he said, quote-unquote, they have this story inscribed in their collective memory. Gerard, tonight at 7pm you're screening Lost Children of the Carricks. Um, as I understand it, it's at, uh, in Gas Bay. Exactly. Um, a little about the documentary. How long did it take to put all that together? Well, we started the project. Uh, I first met George about seven years ago, and I was literally, he was like a bolt of lightning. When I heard this story, and uh, he's telling of the story, I was immediately reminded of the great storytellers, the Shanachy of Ireland. Uh, his passion, his sense of detail, his sense of being able to recreate, the sense of being aboard this uh, vessel as it crossed the Atlantic. So at that point, uh, we first discussed the project, then we got funding, and about five years ago, we started the filming uh, here in Gaspé, and we made two trips to Ireland, one in 2014 and one in 2015, and then we spent a couple of years editing, and uh, eventually the whole project fi finally came together in the last uh, year and a half. And at this point, um, after tonight's screening, we're going to enter the film, which uh, I think is probably the only trilingual film, a documentary film, on the Great Famine. Uh, the film will be entered in uh, various uh, film festivals in North America and in Europe. And all going well this time next year, we'll take the film back to Ireland for a showing in Dublin, but especially a showing in Sligo, where there's great interest in this story. And uh, it will be, uh, I hope, a wonderful experience to bring the story home to the place where it all started. 
And as screenings happen across the country, I would hope you just keep in touch with me so that we can keep it posted out there and we can get the tweets out and all those things to raise as much awareness as we can. Um, absolutely, absolutely, Austin. We will keep you fully in the loop and uh, particularly when we're coming to Ottawa, we will be very much in contact and we'll make sure that your listeners are very much aware of uh, the dates and times of showing. And I must say that, as I said at the intro, uh, it's for, uh, congratulations to all involved, but raising the awareness of this story of, while we're, as I said, aware of uh, Grosseil and we're aware of uh, Toronto and Montreal and Partridge Island, there are so many other stories that have to be told and somebody putting the time and effort into telling those stories and helping us all understand who we are and where we came from is so important. Um, Garrod, thank you very much for bringing George and George, um, thank you very much indeed for taking the time and uh, I'm looking forward to when the movie does arrive being able to see it and I'm also looking forward I had hoped actually I'd looked at my calendar to see if I would have been able to make it down to uh, Gaspé this weekend during this week but it wasn't to happen but I do look forward to going down there at some stage very much Very good Austin you'll be very very welcome in Gaspé I can assure you anybody who's familiar with Ireland will be very very welcome in Gaspé it's like being at home Thank you both Gourmet Margaret Austin. Gourmet Margaret. Merci beaucoup. Bienvenue à Gaspé. Merci beaucoup.